Matthew chapter 2, and while you're turning, let's open with some prayer. Lord, we pray that this hour we've set aside for you would be fruitful, and we pray, Lord, that each one of us would be strengthened and encouraged in your word, that we would hear something that would edify us. We pray, Lord, that each one of us would be conformed to the image of your Son, and I pray, Father, that your words would somehow be spoken here in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew chapter 2. Now, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, and the this context here, Matthew 2, and what we'll get to in Luke 2, that's what the entire story is about, and that's what we are getting close to celebrating in this country, is Jesus being born, coming to this earth. But the Bible was very specific about where this event was supposed to take place. It was supposed to happen in this small hymn with this little town over there called Bethlehem. Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. Something that jumps out at me there is these guys knew one thing. He was supposed to be being born now. They knew the time of this, the timing of it. What they didn't know was what? Just exactly where. They had been following this star and it brought them a long way. But when they get there, they go knock at Herod's door. He's the the governor of the area. And they ask him the question, where exactly is this person supposed to be born king at his birth? Where is he? Verse 3, when Herod heard these things, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. Now, at least part of the meaning of that verse is Herod came from one wicked family. These people killed their own family members, brothers, sisters, aunts, uncles, sons, daughters, parents, to make sure they held on to the throne. That was, their, their human nature was anything for power, was what Herod came from. And, He's being asked, where is this person who's born a king? You better believe he's at least a little troubled by that. But look at his response when he had gathered in verse 4 all the chief priests and the scribes of the people together. He demanded of them where Christ should be born. This Christ, thats of course, that's a title. It's not the name necessarily, someone's name, it's a title. And verse 5, of course, says that the Jewish leaders had to go study for six months and get back to him. Of course, doesn't say it doesn't say this directly, but you get the sense from, and they said unto him in Bethlehem, the sense was they didn't probably even have to go look in their books, and if they did, it probably didn't take all day. They knew that someone was supposed to be expected And what part of the checklist we know where he's supposed to be born? I get the sense it came out of them like a burp. He's supposed to be born in Bethlehem. Now what does that tell you? Did these people accept Jesus when he was born there? When he grew up? When he started preaching, teaching? When he died? When he was resurrected? At any point, did those guys accept him? We have evidence that a couple of them did. Joseph of Arimathea was one. But other than that, absolutely not. Now think of that. What does that tell you? You can know the Bible. It's very possible to have it memorized. 
and at the same time not accept what it's telling you. These guys know. They don't know when. The wise men get that part right. The Magi traveling, they know he's supposed to be here right now. We just don't know exactly when. They ask the Jewish leaders and they, we know for sure he's supposed to be born in Bethlehem. That's what Micah 5 chapter 2 says. But they had no idea that it was taking place right under their nose at that very moment. Even though they knew. They knew. And I often use this as an example. This was not New York City where even if you knew someone was there, it would be hard to find. Bethlehem was like Gilead. Serious. Tonight, it'd take us a half hour to go find somebody over there, even if they were hiding. You can find people in small places. And that's where God chose in advance, through prophecy, he has to be born there. He narrowed it down to a very small window. And he just happened, of course, to get it right. Now, verse 6 is just a copy and paste from the Old Testament. And this is what the Jewish leaders tell Herod. They quoted and said, Thou Bethlehem in the land of Judea, art not thou least among the princes of Judah? In other words, you're almost the smallest place. And yet out of thee shall come a capital G governor that shall rule my people Israel. I'm just trying to paint a picture here of what's taking place in Bethlehem. There's a group of magi that come and they know it's supposed to be in that general area. They don't know exactly where, but they got the time. The Jewish leaders know and they've known for centuries where exactly it's supposed to take place and number one, they're not looking. Number two, when it does happen, they don't seem to accept the results of it. Go to Luke chapter 2. Luke 2 is the, and it's another account of the events surrounding Jesus being born in Bethlehem. And in Luke chapter 2, it says, It came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world, the whole world, should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all, all went to be taxed, everyone into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. If I were to ask you why Joseph and Mary went to Bethlehem, you could give several. I can think of three answers that would be correct. Why did Joseph and Mary go to Bethlehem? We've just looked at Matthew chapter 2 where at least the Jewish leaders knew something about the Messiah supposed to be born there. Now we don't have in the scripture here indication that Mary and Joseph are thinking in their mind, we're carrying the Messiah. He's supposed to be born in Bethlehem. We, we've got to get down there. Now, if that was taking place, it's not indicated here, is it? It seems to indicate that why, is, why did they get on a mule, a donkey, and start riding those rocky, horrible... That's all there are. There's no smooth roads over there. In this day, there's not. There's nothing but rocks. Big ones, small ones, medium size. Rocks. And great with child, she gets on a donkey and here they go. Why were they going down there? According to what we're reading, the context is they're going because a Roman ruler has decreed, basically law came out of his mouth, 
Everybody's got to be, you've got a census and your tax, you've got to get to your, the husband's hometown. Now why is that, why does that have any significance, importance? Because of who started this, according to this story here in Luke 2, Caesar Augustus. Do you think that Caesar Augustus was on his knees in his prayer closet, praying to God, and God revealed to his heart, you know, I need the Messiah to be in Bethlehem, and you need to make that happen. Send out a decree so that everybody's got to go to their hometown. This guy probably didn't know God. The Roman government is synonymous with what? It's evil. They, I'm, not, I'm not an expert on Roman emperors, but in the not too distant future from this point, they start putting Christians impaled on poles, dip them in oil, and burn them for torches. So there, the chances that Caesar Augustus has in his mind, in his heart, I'm going to help out God and do something godly. Of course not. That's kind of ridiculous. And yet, what did God use to get maybe the most important event in human history exactly at the right place at the right time? See, my point is this. God can use anybody for any purpose. And I'm not, uh, the reason I'm pointing this out, I don't think Caesar Augustus was volunteering saying, God use me. I'm not, I'm trying to point out that he had probably no idea that he was furthering God's plan. Zero. See, we get in the trap sometimes we think, well, there's no Christians in my job, my boss is a jerk, he's definitely not a Christian. How am I ever going to have any favor come into my life? He can use anybody for any purpose. Caesar Augustus very likely had no idea there was a Joseph or there was a Mary, that they were pregnant and they were about to give birth. Of course not. And yet God uses this. The whole world was even put into motion, wasn't it? The whole world had to be taxed. That shows you, gives you a picture of how God will move the whole world for His people. The whole world got put into motion here. Verse 5, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. Now think of that. I, I don't know anything about diesel engines. I don't know anything about gas engines. And if there was such a thing as called a, a grass engine, I wouldn't know anything about that either. I wouldn't even be able to distinguish. I do know something about being great with child and what happens to women when they are in that occasion. They are not in the mood to redo the carpet the day before. They're not in the mood for let's reshingle the house or paint this room or that. They usually like things set in their place and let's wait. We have no idea when this is going to start to happen. It's strange. The body just starts pushing, contracting, and it's without your permission. It just takes you over. So what happens? There's a lot of discomfort and confusion. Say that because you think on that donkey ride that Joseph and Mary may have had a little, I can't believe you're doing this to me. We couldn't have got there two months earlier and you're... There had to have been probably some of that. Just pointing out that this is, of course, what we learned from Matthew, it's all God's perfect plan. They have to be in Bethlehem because what happens if they don't? What happens if they hit the big speed bump? She gives birth prematurely in Caesarea Philippi, Jericho, somewhere other than Bethlehem. What happens? Satan goes to God, he knocks on his door and says, you're a liar. That doesn't happen. They have to get there 
They have to get there at a certain time. Verse 6. And so it was that while they were there. And that is our title. While they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. Now, it was Joseph's hometown. Or at least his family, heritage, lineage came from there. So maybe the previous Thanksgiving or two years before when they were celebrating the 4th of July, they were there. Maybe they were never there. I have, I don't know. I do know this. They were there at the exact week that they had to be there. And it's not a short distance if you're great with child and you're on a donkey. Nazareth is up in the north. To come down there to Bethlehem would not be easy. And it, as this verse says, while they were there. It happened exactly when they were there. I'm trying to paint a picture for you of everything that was taking place in the world that caused, that brought about them being in Bethlehem at a certain time so she could give birth to that kid in Bethlehem. And here's what we should learn from that. God can use anyone. Now something that we should probably point out about this... There, there was no angel that communicated to Mary and Joseph that, you know, you, the kid you're pregnant with, the Old Testament says he's supposed to be born in Bethlehem. Why don't you get down there? You've only got three weeks. Get going. There's none of that. But we do have the angel showed up to Mary's cousin, Elizabeth and Zechariah. Zechariah is ministering in the temple. He's a priest. The angel says, uh, you're going to have a child. Even, even though you guys have been barren, you can't have kids. you got one now. And you better name him John. He's going to preach repentance for this Jesus. An angel. An angel shows up to Mary and says, you're pregnant with God's child. Joseph, of course, is thinking, I had nothing to do with this. What am I going to do? He goes home that night to think, I'll just, I'll be nice about it. Privately, we'll put her away. This divorce thing, will I will not embarrass her publicly. And what happens that night? An angel comes and says, Joseph, don't worry about it. The thing that's growing inside her is of God. Take care of her. And he does. An angel tells them to go down into Egypt after he's born. An angel shows up in Egypt and says, Herod's dead. He's not going to try to kill anymore. You can come back. An angel showed up to give people directions and messages in every third verse here. But not to tell Mary and Joseph that, you know, he's supposed to be born down there. Get going. That tells me something. God can... He can send an angel to give a direct message. He can also work through people whose last goal is to help God. I wouldn't bother me to think that if Caesar Augustus had known that Mary and Joseph had to be in Bethlehem on that whatever day it was, whatever week it was, he might have put Roman soldiers around Bethlehem to keep them out. And yet, who did God use? That guy has to think to this day, I helped God keep his word. Or at least I was a part of it. And he can't be too crazy about that if they hate God. And while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. And the next Verses start to talk about these shepherds. Shepherds are out in their field and an angel shows up to tell them 
that there's something that's happened today in Bethlehem, the Savior, Christ the Savior, He is born today. And here's the sign that we'll give you. What verse is that? Verse 12, And this sign shall be unto you, you will find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Now, that is some pretty specific information. Number one, kids most of the time probably weren't born in the manger. But that's where they're going to find him. And when you get there, he's going to be wrapped. You'll know, you're going to be able to recognize. He's going to have these special the swaddling clothes. He's, the way he's going to be wrapped up. They go down there, they find it just the way God said, and of course, they're hooping and holler. I can't believe this. The Savior's born. But the thing to learn about that, God gives specific information to His people. He does. He doesn't want you guessing or attributing something that He orchestrated to other people. You know that? He has no desire for His plan to come to fruition, especially if He tells you something and it comes to pass. He wants to get the glory for that. He gives specific information. They, they, these guys were not told to go to a maternity ward and He'll be the third one on the left. There's always going to be a third one on the left in every maternity ward, as long as you got three kids. He gave specific information that could only be corroborated in one spot. Tiny little place in Bethlehem in a backwoods manger. When they found this, the heavens open up, there's angels singing or declaring the, the message of God and then these shepherds leave and they go off to, it says in verse 17, when they'd seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. Made known. What do you think that meant? They sat on one side of the wall and gave Morse code to somebody on the other side. They made known abroad. They were shouting. They were yelling. They were communicating enthusiastically. And when God does stuff in our life, especially something like this, the timing of it, the place of it, time and place have to intersect at a specific place. God wants the spotlight so that mankind is drawn to Him. This is amazing. See, what you learn about God and His plans are he loves it when human beings recognize God is a very great planner. And His plans are amazing. And when you jump onto it, you believe it, favor goes in that direction. I'm telling you, He loves that. All through the Bible, it's that way. And these shepherds, they go and they tell, God's plan is working down there in Bethlehem. We saw Him. He's wrapped in swaddling clothes. The heavens opened up and there was angels and they were... And they made known abroad. They went and told everybody. This idea that God, how He works His plan, it makes me think of the Old Testament version or picture of the same name, Yeshua. In the Old Testament, there's two guys, Joshua and Joseph, where if you put that in Hebrew, it's basically the same spelling of Jesus. Joshua Joseph. Their lives, in fact, kind of mirror Jesus. Think of Joseph. His brothers didn't like him. His Jewish brothers were not crazy about him. They sell him into slavery and he spends years, years, plural, 
in prison. He got lied on by Potiphar's wife, and he spends a lot of time down there. And one day, he's down there, and two extra prisoners show up from Pharaoh's court. One is the chief butler, and one is the chief baker. They displeased Pharaoh, and they end up in the prison down there with Joseph. And they have a dream while they're down there. And they're talking about this dream, and they say, man, I wish we had somebody, some way to know what this dream means. Joseph overhears him, and he says, I can help you fellas. He's good at this. He tells them the dream. The baker, his dream, the interpretation is, sorry, you're, you're leaving here, but Pharaoh's going to hang you. You're going to lose your head here in a few days. The butler's interpretation is, you're going back to Pharaoh's court. You're going to serve him, but when you get there, Remember me. Remember I'm down here that what I told you is exactly the way it turned out. That God, basically what he's saying is, I don't belong down here. God's with me. That's the only way you we could interpret this so that it's going to turn out exactly the way it happens the next three days. And that's what takes place. The next three days, he is taken back to Pharaoh's court. He's serving him and the Bible says that he forgot Joseph. Which means, Two more years. Two more years in that dungeon. And people, their dungeons didn't have cable TV. They probably didn't get toothpaste razors. Dungeons even a hundred years ago in modern day prisons, people die in because of simply exposure, disease. It's only a very recent phenomenon where prisons are nice places. Two more years he spends down there. What do you think is going through his mind every day? He never once shows a sign of bitterness, anger, resentment. Never. This Joseph cat is a godly guy. Pharaoh, after two years, has a dream. And he tells the people around him, I had this dream, don't know what it means. And that butler hears it and he says, the Bible puts it this way, he remembered his fault. Oh my God. That Hebrew kid, Joseph, is down there. He tells Pharaoh, Pharaoh, you're going to think this is crazy, but I had a dream. This kid in the dungeon told me all about it. it. It happened exactly the way he said, I think you better go get him. And that's what he does. And here comes Joseph to interpret the dream. And of course, you know the dream. There's going to be seven years of plenty. And then there's going to be seven years of famine. And Joseph tells him, you better gather up all the food in those first seven years where the earth is producing. Because after that, people are going to starve. And that's what they do. Pharaoh hands the keys of the entire kingdom to Joseph. He's now second in command. It's a picture of Jesus going where? After he came out of his dungeon. The Bible says the grave could not hold him. Corruption was not going to touch his flesh. He ascends to, according to his words, the right hand of the Father. Same picture. In Joseph's story, Joseph becomes so powerful because they hand out grain for the people in the entire surrounding regions. The the people that are starving sell them their land, sell them their cattle, and even sell them their children because they don't want to die. They're allergic to starving to death. Even Jacob and his boys in Canaan get sent down there because there's the famines hit there too. And when they come, they don't even know that it's Joseph that they have to go ask for corn. For grain. And what a picture that is. The, the Bible says about Jesus that he was sent to his own and his own 
Received him not. Didn't even didn't know who he was. That's why I preach the Bible the way I do. They didn't recognize him, not as Mary and Joseph's kid or a prophet or he he was the Messiah, the guy that had been promised forever. And when they didn't recognize that in Jesus' time, that's why that severe judgment came. Go back to Joseph's time. His brothers come, his Jewish brothers don't know who. They don't know Joseph, the guy with the same name, Jesus. They don't know who he is. But a couple more times, they appear in front of him, and then what? The Bible says Joseph sent everybody out of the room. That might be a picture of us getting out of here. Sent everybody out of the room, and it's just him and those Jewish guys in that room, and he reveals himself to them. They weep, and they fall on each other's neck. The big reunion telling you to me, I read that that is a picture of someday when Jesus and the Jewish nation are going to be reunited, they are going to recognize him whom they've pierced. At that time, it is going to be a good reunion. Think of how Joseph got there. Joseph became second in, in command, in charge of the whole world, the known world. If we'd have told Joseph at, say, age 13, you're going there, he would have probably immediately, yes, yes, yeah, he would have went to his room and had a big party, drove pictures, put up posters. But if we'd have said, wait a minute, Joseph, you know how you're going to get there? Let's talk about the route. And if we'd have shown him he'd have to go through the dungeon, he probably would have, you can keep that. We don't know that, but that might be why God doesn't show us every step in our life. He may need us to get somewhere. And again, he can take us any route. I think of Jonah's route to Nineveh. It involved a three-night smelly stay somewhere that Jonah hadn't signed up for. God can get you. He can get us anywhere we need to be. Bible's amazing that way. And it's the human condition. What do we want to know? We go and we pray to God. God, I, I mean, I really want to know. What's going to happen with my kid? Is that daughter going to do this and this this year? I mean, what about even next week or tomorrow? What's going to happen in their life? He's probably not going to tell you. What does he ask? Same thing that Joseph, Mary and Joseph, and Joseph in the Old Testament. You keep following him every single day, every single day, and you will have that day's daily bread. You know why the Lord's Prayer says, give us this day, next year's bread? It doesn't. He wants you to come back every single day and say, what do you want me to do today? Where should I go? What should I do? And that's pretty much how much in advance he'll give you. True story. The human condition, we want to know. But if we do know, Faith tends to drop off. We think we don't need God because, hey, we know where we're going to be in two years, five years, ten years. God's not real big on working that way. He usually asks you to come see Him every day. Let's go to 1 Corinthians. First, uh, excuse me, we're not, we're not there first, John. Luke 20. Luke chapter 20.
Luke chapter 20. And we'll start at verse 9. Then began he to speak to the people this parable. A certain man planted a vineyard, and he led it forth to husband. What's that verse mean, or verb mean, let it? Some Bible will say he let it out. That means he leased it. He gave them authority over it for a certain time. It involved a time restraint. It's his vineyard, but he's got to leave and he's going to put somebody in charge of it. He let it out to them and went into a far country for a long time. And at the season, he sent a servant to the husbandman that they should give him of the fruit of the vineyard. But the husbandman beat him and sent him away empty. Get the accurate picture here. The owner of this thing is nowhere around. But he wants to know what's being produced there and he sends a messenger. The husbandmen that are running that place, when the messenger gets there, they say, sure, great, yeah, what do you have for us? No, they don't. They treat him terribly. They beat him. And in the next verse it says, again, he sent another servant and they beat him also and entreated him shamefully and sent him away empty. And again he sent a third, and they wounded him also and cast him out. Do you know what this is a picture of? And this parable is taken from the Old Testament in Isaiah. It's where God was telling Israel, I gave you guys, the people that I chose, the oracles, my words, the actual Ten Commandments written with the finger of God, and you were to represent me to the world. But when you started doing wrong, and I sent a messenger to you, a prophet, to tell you, You're sinning. You're backsliding. What did they do to those prophets? Throw them a birthday party? We know they sawed Isaiah in half, very likely. Jeremiah got thrown in the prison. Those prophets, those judges that God sent to them, often, what did Jesus say? He said it's almost like no prophet can die outside of Jerusalem. The prophets, they all die there because when God sends them to you, you guys, you throw rocks at them. And what this is saying, Jesus is painting the picture of God sending his servants to tell Israel about himself. And look at verse 13. Then said the Lord of the vineyard, What shall I do? I'll send my beloved son. It may be they will reverence him when they see him. You follow in the picture now. We've sent prophets for all these years and now who's he sending? His son. This is Jesus telling a parable about a picture of himself. Here he comes. And what are they going to do to him? Verse 14. But when the husbandmen saw him, they reasoned among themselves, saying, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him, that the inheritance may be ours. They're working the vineyard, and they know this is, this is property. This is, these are assets that the master has. And somebody's going to inherit this someday. When the heir, the son, comes in, They reason among themselves. They start thinking, he's the last guy in line. If we kill him, we will get this. We'll inherit this. They reasoned among themselves that this is the heir. I cannot help but read this and think of that Jesus often, good Lord, please, don't anybody think that I'm Israel bashing. I'm not. But I do want to tell the truth about what took place. Jesus 
often called the Jewish leadership, you guys are actual children of the devil. One time he said, you are of your father, the devil. Now, remember what's taking place here. What? Let's go now to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Acts, Romans, and then Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 7. We are I'm taking a long way around here these last 20 minutes, but we're painting a picture of God's plan and the world's response, this, the devil's response to God's plan. That vineyard that basically Satan kind of got a hold of, he got, he wiggled his way inside there when God would send messengers, prophets, they stoned him, they killed him. He sends his son there, and in the parable Jesus says what they think inside there is, here comes the heir, he's gonna inherit this someday, let's kill him, and we'll get it. 1 Corinthians 2 verse 7. Paul saying, but we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. And what this mystery is, is God's plan. We speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom, which God ordained before the world unto our glory. This is God's big plan. What Paul is addressing here. That before he even made the earth, before he made mankind, he had a plan. This is it which none of the princes of this world knew. They didn't know the plan. What would have happened had they known it? They would have never crucified the Lord of glory. Now, If you stop and think about what's being said here, what was God's plan? What was His plan concerning His Son? Not a trick question plan was, he's got to go pay the penalty for sin. There has to be innocent bloodshed to cover the guilty. What was Satan's plan when Jesus showed up? According to that parable that we just read in Luke 20. Hey, here's the heir. If we kill him, the earth will be ours. And I think what Jesus is teaching, at least partially, is Satan thought we kill him and we get it. See, when they crucified Jesus and he cries out, he gives up the ghost and he his head falls hanging on the cross and he's died. What do you think took place in hell? It was pop the cork time. They were throwing champagne glasses all over. It was. It had to have been. It's the biggest party. We got that God the Father. He sent his son here and we killed him. It's ours now. It was their biggest achievement. And What does this verse tell us? That if they had known what the heck was going on, what would they have never done? We wouldn't have touched him. We'd have put soldiers around the cross and made sure he couldn't get there. And here is the conclusion of that. Just like God used Caesar Augustus with that decree to get Joseph and Mary to Bethlehem, he even used Lucifer to bring about his perfect will. You know what just has to absolutely grind that idiot's gears down there? Every single day. His fate is sealed because of the bloodshed for us. His fate is sealed. And why? Because of him. He couldn't control his anger, his bitterness, his rage, his wrath. 
And he just lashed out. He killed the son, which was exactly what God the Father wanted. You know, see what that tells me is? He can't win. You realize that? In Satan's biggest achievement, it's the worst thing he could have ever... He can't win in our regard. I mean, he killed the heir of all and it backfired on him. There's literally nothing he can do if he could, right now today, he would kill you with a hangnail. He would. So why are you still here? Tell you one thing it means, he doesn't have the power to do it to you. He might need your help. That's what that tells me. Without a shadow of a doubt, he'd kill you, you, you. He'd kill every single one of you. Even our little innocent children. He'd kill them. But because they're here, that tells me he can't. See, God put him on a leash. Sometimes you think in your life, well, that leash is pretty long. But start reading your Bible and you realize it's not. It's about two lengths long. He thought he had won. And what Paul is saying here in his master plan, if he would have ever known what the heck was going on in God's plan, he wouldn't have touched him. He would have never crucified the Lord of glory. This is what I take out of this. Caesar Augustus, probably one of the last people on earth that wanted to help God in his plan. Help God in his plan the ruler of the entire realm down there in hell, the last thing he wants to do is help God with his plan and he helped God with his plan. God is pretty good at this stuff. And the Old Testament in Psalm, I think, 84 says, I'd rather be a gatekeeper in the house of the Lord than live in the tents of the wicked. See, you're on the right team. When you're on God's side, pity wampus sakes, you don't want to be anywhere else. Things happen well on His side. And the plans that He can use to get you or them, anybody to where they're supposed to be, we, we, we can't even possibly comprehend it. And thank goodness we're not supposed to. What happens when we try to do it on our own? When we try to come up with the plan, you know what we get? Ishmael. When Abraham thought, you know, I bet we could help this guy out. I know how babies are made. It just takes a little practice. Well, that didn't work out so well. When human beings try to get ahead of God, work it out for him, you don't know how it's going to work out and you think, well, I think I, I mean, I'm pretty good at this stuff. You're not. None of us are. The Bible teaches his thoughts are so far above ours, we can't we can't really keep up with him and it's not our job to try to keep up with what he's going to be doing in the future. Just take today. Take today and that's what walking by faith is. You, you, that's one reason I love to study these big plan ideas because what does it do? It creates a faith in you that he is good at this. I'm going to just keep walking with him because it worked out pretty dang good for guys like Noah and Jacob and Abraham Samson, David, Daniel, all of them. And if I keep doing what they did, if I just keep following God, I'm going to end up in the right spot. That is walking by faith. When we were pregnant with the twins, 
Jen and I, we, I'm an identical twin. I always wanted to have twin, twins of my own, and I loved growing up as a twin. Having somebody be able to go to class for you <laughs> it was awesome. And I also now, being 45, I can look back in my life, and I never in my life truly knew what it was to be lonely. Never. Never. I was never scared of what other people thought of me, because I always knew I had somebody that was, would always be there with me. When I look back, at the time, you don't know that. You wonder, why is that kid doing what he's doing? He's being pressured to do it. Why, why would he give in to that? I kind of realize now I didn't, I was never even faced with that because I always had somebody that looked exactly like me, liked the things I liked. It was easy. Life was easy being a twin. We, we never discussed, hey, we want to have so many kids, but we kind of knew twins would be fun. So even on the after will, we prayed, this, this would be a good time for him. Lord, we'd like to have twins. When we found out we were pregnant next, which in an 18-year span, if somebody just comes and says, hey, you're pregnant, I mean, your chances of being right are over 50-50 for the last 18 years for us. But we found out we were pregnant, and I think a, a couple days later, we had to go to Wilbur area to a baby shower. And we were going to, I knew, <clears throat> we were going to see somebody that I hadn't seen in a long time. There was a, my best friend growing up had a first cousin. This girl, my best friend's first cousin, was always around us just because that's the way you are in small towns. So she was a little bit like a sister to us. First time, though, I'm going to be seeing her. Second, third time in maybe 12, 15 years. She gets out of her car, comes running up to us. She's out of breath, just panting. And she says, I had a dream last night. You guys are pregnant with twins. Now, we hadn't told anybody that we were even pregnant. If you tell my mother something, you have told the world. I, nobody loves their mother more than I love my mom, but we couldn't, we, no, there's no way, no way we, we couldn't tell anybody. We couldn't tell mom. We don't, we haven't told a soul that we're pregnant. And of course we, we can't confirm this. This is just somebody who at that time, even her own testimony would be she was not serving the Lord. God can use anybody. She could barely sleep that night. She came running up to us. You guys are pregnant and you're pregnant with twins. It didn't take long for us to schedule a doctor's appointment. Let's go find this out. And when that came back, I'm telling you, it's, there's a tap on the shoulder of just God telling people, I know where you're at, I know what you want, and you can get it in any possible way. God doesn't need the perfect Christian to be on your job with you, to be your boss or your coworker, to have favor come to you. Sometimes it's nice. And sometimes you can see it coming that way. <clears throat> he can use anybody. He can use anything to get anything in your hands. It seems to be the way he does it throughout his entire Bible. Father, we pray, Lord, that the things we've heard, that they would be embedded in our hearts, that the seeds would grow to fruition. We pray that each one of us would be encouraged to be drawn closer to you Father, we do remember this evening to pray for Pastor and Tiff. We pray, Lord, that wherever they be around this world, that you would be with them, that you would guard them with perfect protection, that you would prosper them, give them favor among those people. Help them, Lord, to establish relationships that would last a lifetime. 
in their ministry and bring them home safely to us. In Jesus' name, amen.